0: In this episode, we're going to talk about the other voice of dentistry. It's a very provocative episode title, right? The Anti-Biomatic Dentist. Well, for those of you who know the Italian stallion doctor Pasquale Venuti, he's just amazing and he's not shy to express his views. He's very controversial and he won't mind me saying this, right? And it's not like he's like completely in the fringe. He's not like ozone. He's not removing people's amalgams to cure them of their erectile dysfunction or whatever, whatever. He's, He's not fringe. He's just on the other side of what we get taught at dental school nowadays, you know, the adhesive approach, but what Pasquale is great at is is pointing out the shortcomings in the modern techniques, right? What's wrong with fiber posts? What's wrong with blindly following adhesive dentistry? So uh, you know what tomorrow tooth, the group uh, that Pasquale is part of is so good at just expressing the other voice of dentistry, you know, take nothing at face value. So I think you're gonna really enjoy this episode. I've been sitting on this episode for a couple of years now for various reasons, mostly because the amount of interjections and the amount of content this episode required me to do uh, is why it took so long. But I uh, hope you enjoy this episode and learn a lot with Pasquale Benuti. Some different views of thinking, some slightly controversial areas will be covered in this episode. So get those onions ready because there's going to be lots of onion chopping during this episode. Hello, Protruserati. I'm Jazz and welcome back to another episode of Protrusive Dental Podcast. If this is your first time listening. Wow, you chose an interesting one to join us. And if you're a usual listener, like I said, man, this is the one for the onions. We're going to do a two-part episode. In this episode, we're going to cover subgingival caries. We're going to cover flat onlays. Like when can you get away with it and when is it a bad idea? Is it ever a good idea? How about post crowns? We're going to get really deep in part two when it comes to uh, post crowns and find out why Pasquale Venuti absolutely hates fiber posts. And lastly, some considerations of looting cement, right? Like, when is it adhesive cement? When is it a looting cement? These kind of real world questions, applicable questions that need to be asked, right? So Pasquale does a fantastic job and I'll not waffle on any longer. Let's do the protrusive dental. Part and then hit the main episode. The Protrusive Dental Pearl today is inspired by a question from our Splint Course Delegate Support Group. So those of you who enroll on Splint Course learn more about different occlusal appliances as a GDP. These are permissive splints that don't necessarily move the jaw in certain positions, a bit safer for GDPs, getting started into the management of bruxism with appliances, the management of some types of pain with these appliances, a little bit controversial there. But the, the question was, when we are dealing with a patient who absolutely loves their occlusal appliance and relying on it for many years, and is doing this Job is protecting the restorations, protecting the teeth. But now this patient needs a restoration. So let's just take a stabilization appliance, right? Acrylic stabilization appliance, aka Michigan, aka Tanner. Uh, and now you replace a crown on a lower molar, for example. And so now your splint's not going to fit anymore. So the question is, you know, what should we do? How do we manage this now? Do, do we have to make a new appliance? Not really. You just have to gouge out the acrylic uh, in the intaglio surface—best word ever in dentistry—the intaglio surface of the splint where the tooth is, uh, and then seated back on. And so now there's no parts of that splint binding on that restoration on that crown anymore. And then you assess, right? Do you need to reline it? Or do you not? If the appliance is perfect, how it is, and it's no long, no rocking, uh, and it feels retentive, and it's just as it was before, then I'm gonna suggest you don't need to pull the acrylic out and start relining that one tooth. Because as soon as the patient takes off the splint and starts functioning again, uh, the tooth's not going to overrupt. And we're keeping it simple, right? But if you find that by losing that one additional tooth of retention uh, of the splint, basically, that now the splint is rocking or the retention has been affected, then yes, you gouge out a little bit more, make some space for a decent amount of acrylic, you put some Vaseline on the uh, restoration, the crown, for example, you aerobrade the inside of the splint, you put some liquid monomer, acrylic monomer, uh, and then you uh, mix the doughy acrylic, you put it inside the intaglio surface of the splint where you just gouged out the old acrylic, right? So you're essentially relining the splint, you then put it over the restoration, and then you just wait a little while, but then start inserting, removing, inserting, removing, inserting and removing because if you don't do this bit, the acrylic will lock in all the undercuts and then you will have a very sad patient. So once you've done that, then you can just neaten it up. Essentially, you've just picked up that tooth in acrylic so that now it's going to be perfectly seated over that crown. Now it might be that it might be binding too much, a little bit too tight in the area. So it might just need a little bit of relief. But essentially, it's a good way not to have to make a brand new clues or appliance for someone just because you've changed one restoration. So the ability to reline acrylic splints is is a good thing. And I feel like a lot of times general dentists are afraid to use it because we're perhaps uh, not so experienced with using acrylic. Acrylics are a great thing to use, whether you use it for lucia jigs, crowns, temporary crowns, uh, or just like I showed you, you know, relining areas of splints. I even use it for more advanced cases, converting my B splints from example, to have a degree of protrusion. So I'm bringing the jaw forward, right? So I'm adding some acrylic there, getting the patient to bite into it in a protrusive position. And then that's like an anterior repositioning splint. So you're converting the kind of occlusal appliance you have to a different type using acrylic. So don't be afraid to get out the acrylic, but just make sure you don't let it set in the mouth, you insert, you move, you insert, you remove, so it doesn't lock in. That's the biggest mistake that you could make. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about occlusal appliances for GDPs, head to splintcourse.com. Otherwise, let's join the main episode with Dr to Pasquale Venuti. Pasquale Venuti, uh, the real, the original Italian stallion. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental podcast, my friend. How are you? I'm so fine. Thank you for the invitation. I'm proud to join your podcast. Dude, I am so, so happy you came uh, and accepted my invitation. You are someone I respect so much, and I've learned so much from over the years. And I'll, I'll describe to the protruserati who listen, uh, my experiences with you in the past. And when I told the protruserati that you were coming on, so many people were really interested to hear your views, which uh, I know you're going to really help a lot of dentists understand your perspectives, uh, which some people, which some dentists think are controversial. And that's totally cool We love controversy on this podcast. It's all about learning from each other. My first experience with you was also a a controversial one, Pasquale. I saw some images that you posted on social media around about 9, 10 years ago, where you were treating these deep carious lesions. And then you would be destroying these papillas. And I say, I say that with uh, as a joke, you're destroying these papillas and you were restoring these teeth beautifully. But just the the the, the fact that you'd actually blaze through the papilla, for me at the time as a young dentist, I was like, what the hell's going on? You're invading the biological width. I even commented, you are invading the biological width. And then you commented back saying, I did not invade the biological width, the caries did. And that was the first uh, of our many interactions going forward. And I learned so much from you. And uh, I, I saw you in Sydney, you and Lincoln Harris in Sydney, then again yeah. in Stockholm when I see Michael Mokas. So I've learned so much from you now doing your vertical course online, which I'd love to, to to sing and praise about. But Pasquale, just for those people who don't know who you are, tell us a little about you as a dentist, your philosophies, your views, where does that come from? You know,
1: uh, we have the same path in dentistry. Uh, we were trained more or less the same way, with the same uh, university dogmas. Uh, Well, when I jumped to dental arena, I jumped with the typical overconfidence of the new graduate. You know, a classic Dunning-Kruger effect. uh, I felt smarter and more competent than any other dentist and competitor. And of course, more competent than my father. Uh, My my, my father uh, was a family doctor and uh, he never had a formal training in dentistry. He was doing some dentistry just for his passion as family doctor. Wow! Yeah, because you know, at that time there were no dentists in the village. Uh, I live in a village of 8,000 souls. In the 80, uh, there were a shortage, there was a shortage of dentists in Italy. So many family doctors did some rudimental dentistry especially uh, caries, you mean uh, endodontic treatments, uh, some mobile prosthesis, a little bridge. So uh, my father just read three books in his life, uh, one of endodontics, uh, a very controversial way of doing endodontics nowadays, a book of fixed prosthodontics of uh, the famous Bible from Hobart Schillenburg, and another book of endodontics uh, from Wayne, uh, they're now in the, my library, so but it's not surprising. Uh, uh during this uh, podcast, I'm going to show you some uh, slides. One of the most interesting uh, parts of dentistry that you don't need so much formal education to do, do good dentistry. So, imagine that, uh, Grid Black, uh, the famous GD Black, the best dentist ever. So <laughs> He degree around 90 or 20 years old uh, in Illinois, and then uh, he decided to do some dentistry. So he went to follow a dentist of Mount Sterling in Illinois, Doctor Spare. So in this office he spent three months. He read the only book of dentistry that Doctor Spare owned at the time, a book of 100 pages. So N.G.V. Black was able to perform and to write and to teach the best dentistry ever just with two months of formal <laughs> education, just one book or one pages. So, you know, let's imagine myself. I had, uh, read, uh, coming from university, hundreds of books, thousands of uh, literature of uh, dental papers. So I was very overconfident. So, but the, the problem then coming out from university you you have not the right skills and not the right mindset for facing the real dentistry. So anyway, as soon as I jumped in the office of my father, uh, my father left because he went to do family dentistry. So uh, I, I had the uh, fortune to never collude with my father. So I never fight with my father. <laughs> so, But anyway, I put in the basement every stuff for my father, dentatus post, dental pins, Plastic post for cast post, prosthetic bars for vertical prep, amalgam. And then I put in the new office uh, fiber post, of course, uh, glass fiber post at the time. Uh, I was uh, using big shoulder bars for doing horizontal prep because, uh, you know, I was taught at university that vertical prep was very dangerous.
0: Hey guys, I'm gonna start interjecting now and again in this podcast to make it more tangible at various points. So for the young dentist, for the student, Pasquale just mentioned horizontal vertical, like what does that even mean, right? It's a confusing term if you've never been exposed to it this way. Well, horizontal just means kind of like a normal crown prep that you were taught at dental school, right? You sink your burr into the tooth and now you have a margin, okay? You have a, a normal margin. This could be a chamfer, this could be a shoulder. So that is a horizontal margin. So for those of you who are watching on the app or the video, you'll see an image of a normal cramp prep that I've done. But then what is different about a vertical prep is that it kind of doesn't have a margin that is completely straight into the gingiva. And you can kind of think of it like a knife edge. Now, this might be offensive to some groups. But if you think of it as a knife edge, it gives you some degree of understanding. Uh, And there's lots of different types of verti prep, there's BOPT, there's shoulderless, and we'll come on to that in in a little bit of education that I'll be setting up or on Protrusive Premium called verti prep for plonkers. So that's coming soon. But essentially, horizontal prep is like a normal crown prep, your shoulder and your chamfer uh, and your verti preps are kind of like knife edge, but that's quite an oversimplification, but at least now you know what he meant by horizontal and vertical. Uh, so my identity started with uh, this kind of dogmas coming from
1: my formal education. But I uh, know some uh, cognitive dissonance starts to happen in my mind after two, three years of practice, because I was uh, following up a lot of patients from my father's practice with the therapies done by my father, with 20, 30 years follow-up now.
0: So these are root canal treatments, right? You're talking about root canal
1: treatments. They were root canal treatments. Uh, They were fillings with so-called decayed tissue underneath crowns on vertical prep with overhangs everywhere. Mm -hmm. But anyway, they were clearly successful after 20, 30 years. And uh, my dentistry had just a track of two, three years. And my cognitive dissonance uh, started to reach the peak
0: Okay, so I'm just going to interject again about cognitive dissonance. It's a big word, uh, and for me, it can be confusing sometimes. So I just thought I'd make it a bit more tangible, right? What this means, like cognitive dissonance, is that um, uncomfortable feeling you have in yourself when your thoughts and your beliefs don't align with your actions. So if I was to give you a, a dental analogy example, is that maybe you believe, or maybe you've come to believe from the literature that you're reading, that actually we don't need to do total caries removal, that it's okay to make sure we've got a nice, clear peripheral zone. That the ADJ area must be super clean. And so that we don't expose, we should be happy to leave some caries over the pulpit area so that we don't expose and we're not doing root canals where we shouldn't be doing them, right? But then this is what you believe. But when you come to actually removing the caries, you can't stop yourself, you can't hold back and you end up chasing that caries pulpally, and you might be exposing more often than you should. So that's an example of cognitive dissonance made into a, a real world dental example when
1: in 2000 i performed an endodontic treatment on a central incisors and then i placed my fiber post and then i did my horizontal prep a big generous shoulder and i did an autogalvan crown on it after two years two years in 2002 the patient came back with the crown and with the post in the hand mm-hmm. so i was shocked <laughs> because i never saw before a dentatus post or a cast post of my father in the hand of the patient. So <laughs> something was not working and I didn't know why. Anyway, uh, after 10 minutes of shock, so I decided to go in the basement. I used my first plastic post enduralite for doing a cast post. So I redid the post, doing a cast post this time. I redid the crown and yet the crown
0: is in the mouth of the patient after 18 years now. So Pasquale just referred to using something called duralay, which is like this red colored acrylic. And what we can do with this duralay, along with a plastic post, is if we put it inside the canal, and then we can literally use some bits of duralay and start building, a post and core. So you're kind of like directly chairside building a post and core as the acrylic setting, you're inserting, you're removing, you're inserting and removing just like the Protrusive Dental Pearl I gave you earlier. And it's a handy way of communicating to the lab exactly the shape of the canal and how you want the core to be because then the lab sends you back a metal replica of this acrylic resin, basically this Duralay acrylic resin. Now I did this once and only once have I done this in my career and it was as a dental student and it was with an old school tutor, but I was grateful to just gain those skills at the time. So if you're not familiar with Duralay, or he didn't really know what he meant by fabricating a metal post core using the Duralay, that's what he meant. You're actually adding little bits of acrylic on to, to build this bigger piece of acrylic, which essentially is like a post and core in your hand, a tiny little version, basically. But then that gets sent to the lab to get processed in to metal. Now, this is relevant because Pasquale, in the rest of this episode, he, he's remembering this time where he was challenging what he was taught e.g. the use of fiber posts and the use of heavy preps, right? Which is completely the opposite of what he does now. By the time he had this doubt, he thought that he knew it all after dental school, but he was finding that his results weren't as good as his father's, who was using more traditional techniques. What Pasquale now goes on to talk about is subgingival caries and removing the gingiva to allow you to reach the caries because sometimes the gingiva is in the way and you can't actually seat your matrix. But what he believes in is removing that inflamed gingiva, which is really crazy. When you first get exposed to this, it's like, whoa, how does this even make sense? But I've been doing this for years. And you know what? These papillae do grow back. And it's been an absolute game changer for me in my restorative dentistry. And some groups people do get offended by these techniques, but I think they've been absolutely brilliant for my restorative dentistry. So he will now talk about that. hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So what I was seeing was in street
1: and contrast with what was published at the dental literature. you know my patients were not a patient of dental literature. My patients were in average with the low income with very better oral hygiene and most of the decay were underneath the levels of tissue. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why my first need is to become free of gingiva when doing some fillings. That's why I start to cut soft tissue. So you know, after cutting hundreds of papilla, so I started to see back the papilla in a few weeks. <laughs> so I realized that it was not a big problem. The big problem was not cutting the papilla because at the beginning, for example, I did not cut the papilla. Papilla was uh, like a religion to me. So what <laughs> happened is that I placed my matrix and because I had the impediment of the papilla, my wooden wedge was too occlusal and crush the matrix inside the cavity. So my feeling was very bad with a very strange profile. But if you cut the papilla, you are able to do a perfect proximal profile. And papilla will grow up again. I guess and and, and, and this is
0: so simple, Pasquale, because this is why I learned from you initially, because the traditional yeah. ways that I was taught to manage that would be, oh, this patient needs crown lengthening. That, that's what I was taught. And, and when I saw you doing such a simple thing like that, and then now having done it hundreds of times myself, seeing the papilla come back, seeing year on year how good the tissues look, when they have been uh, educated properly, how to, to clean it. And the fact that I was able to now restore these teeth without surgery, and everything's fine is just mind blowing why the only other option was suggested to be crown lengthening. Yeah, you know. I, I started with crown landing. I mean, uh, we started with the same
1: path. So uh, my passion had very bad oral So after crown landering, uh, they ended up with a big black triangle. They didn't clean. So the situation is even worse for them. So, and after some years, I get also new decay on the root because with crown landering, you expose the root. So the situation is worse and worse and worse. So crown landering, is a viable treatment uh, in a patient with a perfect oral hygiene. But honestly, in my humble opinion, there is no need of surgical crown lengthening in restorative dentistry, unless for aesthetic reason in anterior area for increasing the height of the crowns. If you Mm -hmm. need ferrule, you can do ortho extrusion. But if you don't need ferrule effect, it's not a problem because you cannot impinge in the biology weed because if caries mm-hmm. is down there it means that the biology weed is reshaping underneath the decay so you mm-hmm. have not the possibility to impinge in it so it's mm-hmm. a fake problem in my opinion i mean well, 20 years ago there was a problem how to get isolation in very deep car solutions because you know rubber dam sometimes is not enough but with mm-hmm. teflon nowadays uh, we can easily manage a very deep margin that's why uh, the, you need such a lengthening just if you are not able to isolate the tooth. But nowadays, thanks to Teflon, we have almost infinite possibilities to reach every margin, even underneath
0: the level of the body. And to, for those listening right now, if you want to see examples of these uh, teeth being treated, uh, Pasquale is so good at posting so many cases and also so many follow ups nine years later, 12 years later, three years later, all over. So join the Tomorrow Tooth group where Pasquale posts uh, a lot of cases. And I encourage everyone to do that. And I love already how we're getting into the clinical details and stuff. But like there's so many things I could ask you and share uh, from, from the lessons that you've taught me to the patricerati, But the, we're going to focus on a few different tangents we're going to go on now. Firstly, I just want to mention, for the purpose of the podcast that there is some tension there is some friction there is I don't want to say war war is a harsh term there is some <laughs> friction let's call it between the the biomimetic dental group and the uh, tomorrow tooth principles and that kind of stuff and I just want to say that look today it's about listening to your views and your uh, experiences. And then I will also have some biomimetic group on and they will share their experiences. And it's all about learning from each other and sharing our views. We're not going to come at it as an attack. We are let's collaborate. Let's listen to each other's views. That's very much the angle this podcast is coming from. So the the, the theme of what we're going to cover in this podcast is we're going to talk about traditional retention resistance form versus adhesive versus completely flat adhesive and where you think on that, then we'll talk about the limits of adhesive. And I know you have some really uh, amazing cases of how you manage these uh, very deep carous lesions yet still doing adhesive dentistry. We're going to talk about the concept of post crowns and where they lie and then also go deeper into fiber post versus cast metal post uh, cast metal post which is something that a lot of the the listeners have requested for for, for a, a, almost a year now uh, your views on uh, the C factor when it comes to indirect restorations and finally at the end we'll talk a little bit about the use this the surge in use in fibers and I don't mean fiber posts I actually mean fibers in composites so uh, if you want to listen to that you have to wait all the way to the end so first question pasquale is And just from my experience, there's traditional dentistry that, you know, the horizontal uh, margins, whatnot. And then of course, nowadays, we're placing more and more vertical for those who are enlightened and stuff. And I, most of my crowns where I don't have enamel all the way around, I will be doing uh, vertical crowns. That's my philosophy. For me to go adhesive, I want at least 90% enamel for me. And I don't want to overzealously use deep margin elevation, especially in someone who has poor oral hygiene. That's my view at the moment. And that's very much, I think echoes what you've taught me as well. And correct me if I'm wrong later, but I see more and more on social media, the use of a very uh, flat platform for a adhesive onlay, i.e. a tabletop onlay. Whereas whenever I prepare for an onlay, I still like to follow the angles of the tooth and get some form of resistance form. Even a small degree is better than going completely flat. But I see more and more flatter and flatter uh, adhesive indirect restorations. So what do you think? What is the limit in terms of how flat do we do we go? Because I saw you post a case recently where you were saying, you know what, you've lost faith in uh, in in these flat preparations and uh, you need to still build in some resistance form can you uh, enlighten us on that yeah you know i've been practicing dentistry since 20 years now and uh, many
1: of the people that collaborate with tomorrow tooth uh, like roberto magianus ramos john cademy david clark so they were practiced dentistry since 40 years so we we tried uh, during our part, uh, both strategies, the so-called classic strategies with retention and uh, resistance form, and uh, the new way of doing uh, adhesion on unretentive and unresistive preparation. The prep there are completely flat. So, uh, those preps are uh, uh, proposed by people that self-proclaim ourselves a biomimetic dentist. I don't know what does it mean. Anyway, this kind of dentistry, the flat dentistry, the unretentive and unresistive dentistry, has two main problems, in my opinion. The first problem is operative problem. So, trying an only with no form of resistance is a nightmare because mm. it slips everywhere. For example, how you check the contact areas on a flat ole? So you have not the possibility. It's a circus. <laughs> the
0: Very other true. problem
1: you have you have not a, a univocal position of the ollie. So what happens that uh, contact areas can move and slip a bit or shift eventually the ollie from the uh, desired position. So, but there is another biggest problem that is not operative, it's a rational problem because uh, we have no literature about the longevity of this kind of unretentive and unresistive always. We have just some case reports, uh, some follow-up study at one, two years old. I mean, uh, we do dentistry for serving the patient for 10, 20, 30 years. But with this uh, background of just one two years of follow up, I, I would not be so confident to serve my patient with this kind of preps. Anyway, uh, I had the possibility to uh, experiment on my patient this kind of dentistry since uh, 2013, and the rate of failure, on my experience at uh, seven years, is almost 40 uh, percent of the
0: bonding. I mean and I just want to I just want to say Pasquale for those listening who don't know who you are like I can guarantee you guys, it's nothing to do with uh, uh, Pasquale's hands not being good enough for this type of dentistry. Like, if you see his adhesive dentistry, his isolation is always meticulous. Uh, Pasquale, I would, you know, Pasquale can do any procedure he wants in my mouth. I I trust him. So it's not to say that Pasquale is not bonding correctly, not isolating correctly, not using air abrasion, etc., etc. He's doing the beautiful dentistry. So this speaks volumes when, when Pasquale is saying that something at seven years, he's noticed a 40% failure rate. I mean,
1: I, I will show you later in the presentation some cases. Okay, some tough cases, okay, tougher than every case has been published in dental literature. So I tried uh, this kind of prep in many ways, but the, the, the biggest problem, especially for a, a young dentist, is how to locate the olive, because we have no index. When you have a flat polish, you have no index and restorative dentistry in indirect, restorative dentistry index is
0: paramount because you have to have a univocal position of your restoration. So what does Pasquale mean by indexing? Let's make it tangible. Sometimes to understand something, you must understand what it isn't. So if you have a a flat onlay prep, right, and you imagine trying to seat an onlay on this flat prep, and it's kind of like moving around, like you can twist it, you can seat it in many different ways. And maybe it's slipping a bit, right? Maybe you've experienced this firsthand with your with your fingers. Now, the opposite of that would be a, a cramp operation with lots of slots and grooves, and it fits in really snugly in that one position. That's a highly indexed restoration. So what Pasquale means is that we should move away from completely flat preps and have a degree of anatomy inside the intaglio surface of the onlay, for example, that's going to uh, seat in and, and not be slipping. The contacts won't be slipping, the, the onlay is not slipping off, and this is called indexing. Not only is it a bit good for your technician, it makes it easier for your technician to make you a good restoration, It makes it easier for you at the time of your cementation or your bonding procedure to make sure that you get that one path of insertion. So indexing is a good thing to have. And with flat dollars, you have a knot. So uh, what we did at some point, we start to do some
1: hole into the center in order to locate, because uh, it's not only your problem. It's all the problem of the technician that cannot Mm. have an exact location. So, but sometimes if the hole is not so deep, the form resistance is not enough. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of problems. Uh, I will show you better. One of the biggest misunderstanding in the industry nowadays is about C-factor. Because the people that proclaim that flat only has a very low C-factor, okay, are completely wrong because they do not understand the basis of C-factor. Because if they studied the work of Carol Davinson, the inventor of C-factor, C factor is called in this way because of the name of Karel Davidson. So they will mm-hmm. see that in 1985, Karel Davidson studies the flat tolls. Flat tolls have infinite C factor. C factor is extremely high because you have one surface, that is the tooth surface, and the only. So, and the cement has to compete with two surfaces opposing each other during shrinking. So mm-hmm. you will end up with a lot of crack inside the cement. So if you have no formal resistance, what happens that under the chewing load, especially the parafunction, the crack will start to move and mm. to continue inside the mass of the cement, and you have the bonding at some point. So it works very fine if you have a patient with no parafunction. But if you have a patient with parafunction, you can you will end up with the only in the hand in a few years.
0: That's as you as you as you taught me, Pasquale, it's a good way to say it is is the biomechanical risk of a patient, and and there's a difference. As you taught me many years ago about a patient who has low biomechanical demands and high biomechanical demands, and, and it's important to appreciate who you're dealing with. So maybe what you're suggesting is maybe those 40 percent of cases where you found that these flat preparations, would you say that a lot of those were in patients with high biomechanical needs? Of course, of course, most of the patient, but you know. This is for every therapy in the industry.
1: So a filling lasts 30 years in a simple patient, in a patient with low biomechanical demand. That's why sometimes, you know, you see gold filling lasting 30 years. But if you, if you check those mouths, you will see that in that mouth there is no wear. It's not about gold, it's about the mouth. Because also composite filling can last 30, 40 years.
0: But, Even amalgams do um, 40, 50 years, and we see all the time. Also, uh, but, and everyone says amalgams causes cracks and stuff. But I've got plenty of patients with 30 years uh, amalgams, not a single crack. You know, how many cracks you
1: see in a patient with virgin teeth? A lot. So, you I mean, mm. the crack is about the force, the vectors, the muscle vectors. It's not about what you put inside a cavity. But anyway, I, I will show you many cases about cracks, just for giving you a better idea
0: sure. Okay, of this. show. Sure. Brilliant. We've talked a little bit about the importance of having a degree of resistance, especially in those patients with a higher biomechanical demand. What is the the limits of adhesive dentistry? Because I've seen you do some really tough cases and gone, you know, really over and beyond with your skills to try and isolate and trying to achieve all the adhesive principles. But what is, where where do we draw the line? Where Where is it for you personally, Pasquale, that you say, okay, this will be adhesive, this will be non-adhesive. Where is the,
1: the limit? A couple of years ago, I had a discussion with my friend Marlene Peumans from Leuven University, because I I challenged her to define what does it mean adhesion. So, uh, for example, if I ask you, the uh, glastionomer is an <laughs> adhesive cement or not, in your opinion?
0: I would say that GIC is, would, would, would come under the category of an adhesive cement.
1: So, how do you cut the threshold between an adhesive cement and
0: non-adhesive cement? Well, actually, now I'm thinking about it, for me, now you say adhesive should have some sort of degree of resin. So if it's glass, iron cement, that's a chemical setting, whereas a resin-modified glass cement would have a adhesive color. So actually, now I'm going to revise my answer and say, <laughs> if I'm using something like a Fuji Plus, like a, which is a GIC-based yeah. ba- ba- cement. That would be for me. I use it for my non-adhesive crowns, for like my my verticals, for example, vertical crowns. I would use a Fuji Plus or something. So I would say no, it's not adhesive. I mean,
1: uh, when you when you when you talk about adhesion from the chemical point of view, you have adhesion when you have some chemical bonding between the mm. structures. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, we are using the word adhesion for defining some cement that have no chemical bonding, but a micro-mechanical interlocking. Yes, yes. It's because the hybrid layer is just a mechanical interlocking. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the only cement that we can use adhesively in dentistry is the glass ionomer. It's mm-hmm. not the resin cements. Anyway, we tend to classify a cement uh, being adhesive just if you get uh, 20 gigapascal in addition. For example, if you are under 20 gigapascal, you tend to see the to say that it is not adhesive cement. Anyway, mm-hmm. the problem is that how long is the micromechanical bonding, how long it is, and what can damage the micromechanical interface? So that's the question. You can have some gigapascal of adhesion at the beginning, but it is longevous or not? So, and uh, what we have found over time that uh, this bonding is very longevous uh, on the enamel, but it's not so longevous onto the dentin, mm-hmm. because uh, the problem, the first, uh, the biggest problem with dentin, is that we have no dentin. We have uh, uh, what I call the, the fifty shades of yellow. Okay, so, uh, just for uh, <laughs> you know, when the when a dentin is decayed, is uh, is uh, uh, attacked by decay it changed structures and when you bond that dentin you know it's not easy to have a longevity bond in my opinion mm-hmm. this is my experience after 10 years if you start to remove a filling done well you have very trouble to remove from the uh, enamel but then uh, after you have removed the addition onto the enamel you can remove the filling with an excavator because the mm-hmm. addition to the dent is completely lost You can do an experiment. Everybody should do this experiment. You have a deep filling, you have a deep decay, and you have to do a deep margin elevation, okay, on this dentin. If you just do a bonding of two millimeter of dentin of this deep margin, okay, after the light curing, you can remove with an excavator that little piece of composite. That's why when you do a deep margin elevation, I highly suggest to create some mechanical interlocking with the enamel. So, we have to extend the platform because if the deep margin elevation is very minimal, it will detach easily because that dentin is not prone to the bonding
0: procedure. I mean, th- that makes sense, Pasquale, in terms of how deep you are and you're purely on dentine. But to extend it onto enamel, you mean we should also go a bit more uh, buckle and a bit more lingual so lingual. that it's fine, yes. understood. Mm-hmm. You have to extend the platform at least
1: three, four millimeters inside the tooth because if you limit yourself to little margin, mm. the bonding is quite poor, is almost mm-hmm. zero. So, but why why enamel? The enamel is uh, quite stable, it's a rock. So it doesn't change. It's the same from the first day of the patient to the last day of the patient. Dentin change over time, change color, change structure. So enamel offers another advantage. It makes the tooth very stiff. Uh, If you have a lot of enamel, so the tooth cannot bend easily. But if you have lost most of the enamel, the residual dentin under the chewing stresses can bend. If it bends, the mechanical interlocking with composite will unstitch very easily. So that's why if you have a lot of enamel, go with addition, even with the flat surface. But if Mm. you have not so much enamel, Honestly, it's better to project and design something
0: that is resistive and resistant, in my opinion. Brilliant. So so Pasquale, just to wrap that up, and I told you one of my guidelines for uh, adhesive versus non-adhesive is at least 90% enamel. Would you like to offer some sort of uh, mathematical or uh, rigid guidelines in terms of that, that helps the young dentist understand about uh, when to go adhesive and when uh, to to go um, non-adhesive, mechanical? So, so
1: Many people. Uh, will, it's not about how many enamel you have all around, because some teeth have a lot of enamel all around about the surface, but the thickness of enamel is very minimal. Because, for example, is an erosive patient. So, erosive patient is not easy to treat because you have enamel at 360 degree, okay, but you have just 0.304 millimeter of enamel, and 0.304 millimeter is not enough. For me, addition, you need. Uh, enamel almost at 360 degrees you can accept 250 degrees of enamel around at at least a thickness of enamel of 1.5 millimeters mm-hmm. if i have less than 1.5 millimeter in thickness i will not do any addition anyway i will uh, uh, present later in the presentation some cases that are very paradigmatic what happens when you do a filling in an erosive patient? So you have enamel, but you have a very thin enamel, and you will see what happens to the fillings in a few months.
0: Amazing, we'll, we'd love to see that, yeah. brilliant. So then, and the next thing we'll talk about, uh, Pasquale, is uh, the whole concept of uh, no post, no crown. So this this concept of we want to avoid placing posts as much as possible, and we want to avoid doing crowns, and instead do onlays, to maintain the gingival third of tooth structure where, you know, which which is responsible for the strength of the tooth. Now, my own personal views on posts is that I haven't placed a post for like maybe two years now, because for me, if I don't, if I have enough ferrule, then I think almost I don't need a post. Uh, I can just rely on my, my composite and the, the crown will be engaged in a ferrule. If I don't have any ferrule, then I'm thinking why are we even using a post here? So for me, the, that, that tooth is for the bin or needs some crown lengthening or something like that. Or even if I can't get that ferrule from um, a vertical preparation, for example, we can give you a little bit more ferrule to play with. For me, that tooth is unrestorable. So I'd love to hear your views on this mantra of no post, no crown and, and find out how much you in your daily dentistry uh, are using posts at the moment. Well, there we have it guys. I'm sorry I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger there. But we're going to cover the big bad topic of posts next time. We covered a lot of ground, we covered a lot of breadth. But in the next episode, we we go a little bit deeper into some of these areas, especially when it comes to posts and why in this world where everyone seems to be anti post, he is Pro post, and even then, it's like a cast post that he favours. Uh, and we'll find out a bit more about his philosophies in restorative dentistry. If you'd like to gain some CPD, just head over to the app, Protrusive.app, or on your device like Android, iOS, you can actually download the native app. And just by answering a few questions, you get some CPD for this episode. There's also monthly premium content that I add all the time. But I do want to thank you for listening all the way to the end of this episode, and I hope you look forward to part two with Dr. Pasquale Venuti. Same time, same place next week. See you there.